Our reading today is from Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants, so he called out, Send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, and my father's is my father still living. But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here, because God sent me here ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me here ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land, and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt." Return quickly to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. You can settle in the land of Goshen and be near me, you and your children and your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and all you have. There I will sustain you, for there will be five more years of famine." Otherwise, you and your household and everything you have will become destitute. Look, your eyes on the eyes of my brother Benjamin can see that I am the one who's speaking to you. Tell my father about all my glory in Egypt and about all you have seen. And bring my father here quickly. Then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin wept on his shoulder. Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. For those who are visiting, my name is Paul. I am the senior pastor here. It's a joy to worship with you today, especially as we look at Genesis 45, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. But before we dive into this passage, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, are you captivated by great stories? In an article written for USA Today on February 16th, 2023, excuse me, 2022. Drew, you see what you did to me? In an article written last month, nope, two months ago, February 16, 2022, journalist Ian Lenahan shared the following amazing story from the sea. After a group of New Hampshire students built a roughly six-foot-long miniature boat and filled it with gifts in late 2020, they set it out on the Atlantic Ocean, hoping it would eventually wash ashore and be opened by someone across the globe. 
Well, some students at Rye Junior High School wish for it to drift to Europe. Then sixth grader Solstice Reed wasn't as convinced the voyage would be successful. Honestly, I thought it would sink, said Miss Reed. Fortunately to her and her peers' pleasant surprise, Reed's initial skepticism turned out to be unfounded. The Rye Riptides boat, as it would come to be called, called, equipped with a tracking device, listen, spent 462 days at sea and registers its coordinates at different points throughout its journey. In this month, at long last, a curious sixth grader in Smola, a small island near Dyrens, Norway, I hope I'm saying that correctly, found the semi-dismantled boat, later bringing it to his school and opening it with his delightful classmates was overjoyed. The cross-continent trek for this little boat, Rye Riptides, which students in now retired Rye Junior High School science teacher, Sheila Adams, stuffed with photos of the students, a face mask with their signatures, fall leaves, acorns, of course, and state quarters was conducted with the help of a group called Educational Passages. The main, main based nonprofit's goal, Educational Passages, is to teach students about the ocean and its global impact. And it all first began, this work began with the teacher, listen, in 2018, four years ago. The project was halted during the 2019-2020 school year after the pandemic shut everything down. And the teacher would say, devastating. The kids were devastated. So it was difficult. Stick with me, Savannah. However, the former group of students in a new class of fifth graders didn't give up. And they banded together to send the boat out in October 2020 at the Gulf Stream off of Florida. So with a GPS attached, the students were able to map the mini boat's location until it went silent. Still, stick with me, Savannah, the students continued to check on the little vessel every single day. Then, during hurricane season last year, the GPS on the little boat came back online registering plot points on August 18th and then September 30th around the same latitude as Ireland. And then mysteriously, once again, during the fall and the winter, it went silent. Finally, four months later, on January 30th, 2022, this year, Cassie Stimius, the executive director of all of Educational Passages, got an update the little boat, Rye Riptides, had appeared to hit land on a small island in Norway. Quickly, she put out an alert on their website and quickly word spread throughout Norway about the newly arrived yet undiscovered vessel. And I love this, I love this next part because it draws out the kid and me and all of us. Ready? One local sixth grader, Carol Nunchik, and his family heard about the little boat. With the family's dog in tow, Carol and his parents went out to the small island, which was located less than a mile from their home after school on February 1st. They headed over in their own boat and started looking through the rocks. And that afternoon on February 1st, Carol and his parents spotted the colorful little exploration boat 
which had been damaged during the journey. Covered in gooseneck barnacles that had grown on it, rye riptides had been dismasted. It had lost its mast, with its hull and keel no longer attached either. Still, the boat's deck and its cargo hold, with all of the little items that the students had placed in this boat, they were somehow all still intact. Now for my favorite part. By the time this little boat was discovered, not only had it been on its journey for 462 days, the little boat, the little boat had traveled over 8,000 miles. It's a little boat that could, right? That's a lot of miles. Here's a picture of the small vessel when it was first launched in 2020. Now, here's a picture of the small vessel after it was found in 2022. Incredible, right? And here's a picture of the crazy journey the small boat took to reach its final destination. Said Molly Flynn, one of the students who helped build and launch the boat, I was surprised. The boat actually made it somewhere. I thought it was going to get stuck, and it actually made it. And it was really, really cool and surprising. Can we give it up to all the teachers in the room, right? I mean, what an awesome teacher, this little science teacher from Rye, New Hampshire. And what a story, right? What a result. Life, you see, can take us to places and on journeys we never dared dream. All is well in life until... This wave hits us, or this wave hits us, and over we go, and we tumble about in the sea. And just when we think we've met our end, surprise, out comes the sun again, and we can finally breathe. And we naively think, some of us, thank God, I finally made it. Only to turn and see in the distance yet another obstacle or wave coming our way. Can any of you relate to what I'm sharing today? Dylan, if we could throw up that GPS map, looking at this wild GPS map of the little boat Riptides, Rye Riptides, some of you may even say, Pastor, that's my life. It was a straight line here, zigzag there, loop over here, and then a blackout there. That's me, right? Story. Life is full of stories. Faith is full of stories. With the language of stories or epics in mind, let me ask this question. Is it all random? Are our stories, AJ, your and my stories, are they random? Are we randomly pushed and pummeled haphazardly by the elements around us or what the world throws at us? Or might there be more, Ada? Might there be more to what's going on in our stories? Jay, might there be a greater good or a greater God who's intimately involved with your story? Is such an idea ludicrous? What does scripture have to say about this topic? Well, that's what we're going to dive into today in Genesis 45. The big idea we'll see in our passage today is this. The grace of God wrecks us and connects us to the redemptive story of God. We're going to unpack this through two points. Point one, the grace of God wrecks us in the redemptive story of God. And point two, the grace of God connects us 
to the redemptive story of God. So point one, the grace of God wrecks us in the redemptive story of God. As Butch read, Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all of his attendants, so he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers, but he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence, we read. Ten days ago, Ten days ago, my grandmother, Nana, passed away. At the age of 99. She was the matriarch of our family. Out of all of my grandparents, she was the only one to share her faith with me. I remember Nana for four things. Burnt toast. Black coffee, homemade key lime pie, and walks in the Florida sunshine. When I was a youngster growing up in one of the poorest counties in Florida, Nana would sometimes take me to this rundown restaurant on Highway 27, just outside of Haines City, called John's. I'm sure we've all visited John's. It was one step up from a truck stop, a real gem. And together, over burnt toast and black coffee for her and pancakes and orange juice for me, we would sit there talking. Now, my nana, she didn't seem to care much about the restaurant, though she was always nice to the workers there. And she didn't seem bothered by the small town, even though uh, nana and my grandfather have moved down from the city lights of Chicago. Still, as a little boy, I was always confused as to how someone as beautiful as my nana could frequent a place as grungy as John's. But she did. And looking back now as an adult, do you know what my nana actually cared about in those moments? She cared about me. Nana was passing her faith in God's grace on to me. Thus, it was only fitting this last week when I flew to Chicago to lead Nana's funeral and preach a homily in her honor. I wept, and I wept hard. Our family wept, and many of them wept hard with me. You see, when we come to recognize, excuse me, recognize our story within God's story, with all of its intricate details, dynamics, and relationships at play, the grace of God wrecks us. It cracks us open to a world of insight and emotion that is absolutely stunning. When we see how this conversation led to that conversation, when we see how this development has led to that development, when we see how this shut door has now led to this open door, when we see how this broken relationship over here has now led to this budding relationship over here. It all wrecks us. God's grace, when fully understood and embraced, cracks us open like an egg and our hearts come oozing out. Does it sound messy? You bet it does because it is, which is what we see in Genesis 45 today. 
Joseph, after two decades um, following his beating, being stripped and sold into slavery by his brothers, is now at the helm in Egypt of God's providence, positioned to not only forgive his brothers, but to provide for his brothers. And as we've seen over the last several weeks, God has brought these men, these brothers low, not only to turn them away from their sin, but to turn Joseph's heart back towards them. Grace. It all is because of grace. God's unmerited kindness and favor that this reconciliation is able to occur. And finally, in today's passage, God's grace, after testing his brothers, wrecks Joseph. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all of his attendants. So he said, send everyone away from me. And no one was with him when he revealed the identity to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Now, I can only imagine, to use some modern language, how freaked out the brothers were in this moment. Note how Joseph begins to weep and scream before he reveals his identity to his brothers. That's how moved Joseph was. Finally, he regains his composure and he says, it is me, I am Joseph, how's my dad? How's our dad? And how do the brothers respond? They're speechless. They're terrified. Can you blame them? Note something else, how in this little slice of scripture, even though Joseph sent all of his attendants out of the house, no one is kept out of this story. Anyone near Joseph could hear him weeping and wailing. That's how hard this man cried. The point is this. The grace of God completely wrecks us when it fully penetrates our hearts. I'm looking around for men who have been on the hike. You know this, right? When the grace of God penetrates your heart, men weep. Women weep. The people of God weep when they encounter God's grace because it allows them to be fully vulnerable and grateful. Now, stepping back, if you're like me, you may have grown up in a church tradition that downplayed emotion. In my faithful Presbyterian little church growing up, when we sang, Jay, it was serious. When we studied scripture, it was serious. When we went to church and left church, guess what? It was serious. The confusing thing for me was that our youth group was quite different. There we were invited to lift our hands, bend our knee, and cry out to the Lord. And guess what? It's there I met the Lord, and it's there the Lord met me. The bottom line is this. In Scripture, pouring out one's heart with a wide range of emotion is not the exception, it's the norm. David, the man after God's own heart, regularly cried out to God. David was a wild man. Read the Psalms. Jonathan, who was David's best friend, wept with David in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Elijah, seeing his mentor Elijah depart from his very eyes, tore his clothes and wept before the Lord. 2 Kings chapter 2. Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, when they had to say goodbye, kissed one another and did what? wept together. Ruth chapter one. The Levites and family heads of Israel, along with the people of Israel, 
went and rejoiced together as they rebuilt the temple of the Lord. Ezra chapter 3. In Jesus, seeing the pain and longing in Martha and Mary did what? He wept for them. He wept with them. John chapter 11. Special shout out to Jim and Kathy for helping with this list. Here and elsewhere in Scripture, in Genesis 45, what we're meant to see is the grace of God wrecks us and cracks us open to the redemptive story of God. And guess what? It can be emotional. And biblically speaking, Didi, that's a beautiful thing. This leads us to point two. The grace of God connects us to the redemptive story of God. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near He said, I am Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. Now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve your life. What? For the famine has been because God sent me ahead of you to preserve your life. It's been in the land these two years and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household, and ruler of the land of Egypt. And then skipping to the end of our passage, then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin wept on his shoulder. And Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept. And afterward, his brothers talked with him. Friends, just imagine the scene. The last time that these brothers had had physical contact, listen, the last time they had had physical contact with Joseph, they had likely split his lip and punched him in the gut. In Genesis 37, that's what we basically read. They stripped him, beat him, and threw him into a pit, intending to kill him. Then they sold their brother into slavery. From there, the boy would become a man by way of slavery in prison, and forced to sleep in a bed that was not his own, serve a people that were not his own, and grow up in a country that was not his own. Joseph, through the evil and hate of his brothers, had lost everything. Yet now what do we see all these years later in our passage? We see Joseph weep for his brothers, and he kisses them. One by one by one, he kisses them. The scene is so, such a contrast to Genesis 37, it, it leaves me rather speechless. How do we make sense of it all? Well, here's how. Ready? Grace. Grace not only gave Joseph a heart to feel God's redemption in the moment, grace gave Joseph the eyes to see God's redemption in the moment. Let me repeat that. Grace not only gave Joseph a heart to feel God's redemption, it gave him the eyes to see God's redemption. Four times in our passage, verse 5, 7, 8, and 9, Joseph emotionally points the brothers to the overarching providence and plan of God. Listen, he doesn't allow any grudge or guilt to divide the family anymore. He does not. He points them all to the redemptive story of God. I am Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into slavery. Now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Wow, talk about seeing the big picture. You sold me. 
but God sent me. None of it was random for Joseph. None of it. God, through all the highs and lows, ups and downs, was actively watching over and guiding Joseph's life in all of their lives. That's what Joseph believed. Years later, King Solomon and the Apostle Paul would share the same belief with these words. First, Proverbs 16, verse 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. In Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, not some things, in all things, Aaron, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Thus, returning to our passage, life for Joseph, seeing how God had positioned him to forgive and provide for his brothers, it was not random. The Lord was seated on his throne. The Lord had taken all the good and the bad, the ups and the downs that had happened to Joseph and positioned him in his unfolding story for the greater good of those involved. The Lord had positioned Joseph for the greater good of his brothers. The Lord had positioned Joseph for the greater good of his dad and extended family. The Lord had positioned Joseph even for the greater good of the world. Remember, it was through this family that the promises made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 17, and elsewhere were meant to be fulfilled. That's why Joseph could say near the end of our passage, God sent me. He sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and keep you alive by a great deliverance. Joseph saw it. Joseph saw the redemptive plan of God in his life. And stepping back, the question for us today is this. Do you, do you see it? Do you see the redemptive story of God, not only in Joseph's life, but in your life? Grace. The grace of God wrecks us and connects us to the redemptive story of God. As we wind down the sermon, I'd be remiss not to share that the most stunning part of the story, this epic story, is that it doesn't end here. It keeps building and building and building until we reach the New Testament and we read in John chapter 1. Listen, quote, the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. Friends, we all need grace today. We all need God's unmerited kindness and favor. Like Joseph, grace gives us a heart to feel this redemption. And it gives us the eyes to see it. And ultimately grace, excuse me, friends, grace is not found in some ideology or philosophy. Grace is found in Jesus. So the question is, do you know this grace today? Do you know Jesus today? Can you feel and see, Lacey, how God has directed your life like Joseph, to encounter this grace and to even offer this grace to those who've harmed you. Grace. Friends, today, do you know you're part of a much bigger story than your own? 
Even now, Krista, God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, for his glory, for the greater good of the world, grace. The grace of God wrecks us and connects us to the redemptive story of God. Grace. Melissa, it changed Joseph's life. Friends, let it, God's grace, change your heart and the trajectory of your life today. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for seeing this thread throughout this story in the Old Testament of Joseph and how it reaches its climax in Jesus. God, would you wreck us? Would you crack us open, revealing who we are and who you are, and may it overwhelm us with emotion, grace. May we have the ability to look up and see the fine details, conversations, even relationships, relationships that led us to this moment today Help us to see through the lens of grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.